Good morning, church. <laughs> oh, you guys are looking so great today. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad if you're watching online as well. I saw uh, several people watching this morning, at least on Facebook. I know we have other avenues that people watch. They watch on YouTube and the website. And uh, I saw on Facebook, an old friend, Broad, is watching. Uh, if he's still watching, hey, Broad. Uh, the Maffet family, we love you guys. Also, uh, my grandson, Luca, in Nashville is watching today. Luca, I love you. Uh, Michaela, Lawrence, I love you as well. I, my goal every Sunday is to preach a sermon that Luca will stay awake in. Uh, so we'll see. I'll find out after service if I put him to sleep or not. Um, I love, Chad, what you were saying uh, about Hannah and giving the one child, getting the five. And I was thinking, well, I gave five kids to the Lord, but I don't want 25 kids back. <laughs> keep them, Lord. Just keep them. But speaking of kids, uh, <laughs> maybe, I don't even know if I want 25, yeah, 25 grandkids, that would be okay. That would be okay. Because then all of my kids get to experience what it's like to have five kids. Um, so that. That will be great. <laughs> uh, over the last several weeks, can I just go off script for a moment? Over the last several weeks, I've been talking to our team on Wednesday staff meetings, and what I feel like the Lord is, I, I want to say birthing, but I can't say birthing because we started the church like this, um, and it's always been a value, but it's just been a new concern recently in my heart at least and that is our e-kids ministry and I just want to take a couple of minutes just to share with you my heart on that um, first of all thank you for being here your your attendance actually does matter it doesn't just matter to you it, it matters to the body of Christ I don't want to minimize anyone that's watching online we have people watching further than they could drive this morning. We have people that are working and, and watching while they're working. We have people that are sick and watching. There's always a reason. That's why we provide this wonderful ministry, the TV ministry, uh, to capture the hearts of people that can't make it in the room. But online church is never a substitute for in-person community. And I want to thank you for being here this morning because we need you here. We're not as strong as God designed us to be when you engage with the body from a distance. And that, that comes in several forms, right? It comes in showing up on time for worship, to, to be in community as we worship a God after our team is rehearsed Thursday for hours and hours and hours, and then they show up early Sunday morning at 8 a.m. to practice for hours and hours and hours before we get here. So the moment that you walk in, we're just ready together to be on the same page, right? You showing up on time to worship, to lift up your hands and lift up your voice is an act of being the body of Christ. And when your voice, I don't care how bad you sing, when your voice isn't here, we miss it. And the worse you sing, the more we miss it. Not just that, in, in your giving, your giving matters. We, we can't do what we do without your giving. Uh, last month, in fact, our giving was short. <laughs> this number can blow your mind if you're not used to leading lots of zeros, but we were short $20,000 in our giving. The month before that, we were short $14,000 in our giving. So in the last 60 days, we've been short approximately $35,000 in our giving now. Because we're good stewards, we have savings, and we were able to pull from savings to meet the needs of the church. But your giving matters. This is just another example of the body being the body. And, and I say all that to circle back to what's really on my heart, and that's eat kids. Your attendance matters because we need volunteers. We need people who love the kingdom enough that will love kids into a relationship with Jesus. When we started this church... Carrie and I were coming from a church in College Station and still connected with them today. We left well. 
but we were over children's ministry, we were over youth ministry, and we had sown 10 years in that church leading other families. And our family was blessed because of it. God, God blessed our kids because we poured into the hearts of other kids. And we knew when we started this church that we would never have a lack in e-kids. We would never have a lack in youth ministry because of the years that we had invested in the hearts of young people. God was now gonna honor that in the life of our church. And we started in 20, 2010, and that was true. From day one, we had a thriving children's ministry. Cheryl Biggs, who's in, with us today, she's she came from College Station. She started uh, children's ministry. She was the leader of that. Wow, Cheryl, you have been here a long time. 2010, she's like, oh, yes, I have. But from day one, we had a thriving children's ministry. We had a thriving youth ministry about six months in. We didn't start that until there was truly a need for it. I was so young when we started the church in 2010, I just considered the church a youth ministry, to be honest. I mean, I was like 34, 33. I looked really great and young. and Now I'm feeling like the seniors pastor in the room, but back then it was the children's ministry and youth ministry, and God just always blessed it. And over COVID, the last three years, we've had to adjust, and there's nothing wrong with that. Every leader, every pastor, every business leader has had to adjust to the new situation and the new dynamics. And I, I get that. We're flexible. We're fluid. Thank God we're spirit-led. A lot of churches aren't even standing today, not because they weren't spirit-led. I'm just showing gratitude for where we are. But we pivoted, and we did family worship for a while, and then the crowd was growing, and we were getting a lot of babies in the room, and it was parents were asking for a place to put their kids so that they could encounter Jesus rather than just babysitting their kids on the third row or the fourth row. And so we opened eKids, and it's been wonderful. I asked four people. I didn't have a leader over children's ministry. I still don't have a leader over children's ministry. I'm, I am the very incapable leader right now over children's ministry, devoting my time to somewhat navigating an excellent team of leaders that don't need much supervision. Thank you, Jesus, for those core leaders. Um, and then doing main leadership church here for the main service and uh first of all i just need to probably give a shout out to those leaders amber wheeler who is on platform almost every sunday singing and worshiping and thursday rehearsals agreed to take a sunday and eat kids i asked them to give me a, a one-year commitment that was a year and a half ago i've not revisited it with with amber or jennifer cruz is also in the room jennifer is one of our team leaders back there, Addison Wheeler, Addison Wheeler, I don't know how that happened, I don't even know what happened, she can't marry any cousin, that's for sure, Addison Rose, my daughter, is back there right now as a team leader, she was one of the people that said yes, um, Emily Ginn said yes in the beginning, she took a break when Parker was born, um, and now we have, thank you, now we have Lizzie. Lizzie just joined the team as a team captain uh, on one of the Sundays. Anyway, I'm using all my sermon time for this. People won't come to this church and stay without a thriving children's ministry. Hear me. The worship can be amazing. The tech team can be phenomenal. The preaching can be stellar. And, and all of those things are, those are all wonderful. But if you don't have a solid children's ministry, families won't stay. Our children's ministry should be so good that kids are pulling their parents back into the house of the Lord. That's, that's how it should work. And here's the beauty of being in children's ministry. Last week, we got to hear Buki preach. Man, she was phenomenal. And she's in E-Kids every single Sunday. Um, the beauty of e-kids and that age is, you know, in main service, um, Charlie, I can preach a great message and I can give an invitation for people to accept Jesus. And maybe, maybe 5% of the lost will raise their hand and say yes, maybe, maybe in a room like this. But in e-kids, you give an invitation for the kids to accept Jesus 
100% of the, it's like you're not pole fishing, you are net fishing. You're throwing a net out into the water and you were harvesting tons of fish, so many fish that it's like breaking the boat. Because 100% of the kids will say yes to Jesus. Even the kids that get saved every week will say yes again to Jesus because their hearts are so open to the gospel and open. We intrinsically are born with a knowing that there is a God who knows us, a God who loves us, and a God who is calling us to himself. This is the value of children's ministry. It's not babysitting. It's capturing the hearts of kids while the percentage of yeses are in the 90s, not the five. If we can capture the hearts of children before they ever go through middle school, how much better will their life be? So that's my intro for eKids. We want to increase our volunteer team. If you, if you love children, if you love being goofy and dumb and stupid, eKids is the place for you. No offense, Amber. That is the place where you just get to, you get to be a kid and you get to be zany and you get to be big. So if you would like to serve in eKids, please see me out front. I'm currently the leader. I'm looking for a new children's director, though. If you know anyone or if you might be interested, I'm taking applications and payments. We'll get you somewhere. So let me know. Uh, we're going to build this team together. Can I get a good amen? Amen. All right. So let's get to the sermon. Two weeks ago, I was giving you seven decisions to put your family center stage. And I gave you the first three, and then last week, Buki spoke an incredible, timely word. This week, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to give you the remaining four. Uh, just as a reminder, two weeks ago, the first three that I told you, and you can write this down anywhere in your notes or on your phone. Number one was change your mindset. Number two was change your environment. And number three was talk about your emotions. These are things we need to do to put our family first and to be famous at home. Today, we're going to tackle real quickly the final four decisions that you can make as a family. Will you please stand with me in honor of reading God's word today? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 27. says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Then I want to jump to Psalm chapter 127 verse 1. One of my favorite scriptures says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Father, I come before you today. I thank you for our time together. I ask that you would just stir our hearts. Let us hear your word. Let us hear from heaven today. God, I thank you that you can divide this word into a million different ways to speak directly to our point of need. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say... Amen. Turn to your neighbor, turn to three or four people and say, let the Lord build it, and then you may be seated.
Does everyone know what chat GPT is? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who does not know what chat GPT? Oh, a good number of you. Okay, let me fill you in because uh, it's basically going to take your job. Uh, it is artificial intelligence. And uh, AI is obviously on the rise. I think it's one of the greatest threats to civilized society or free society, at least. Uh, I'm with Elon Musk on that issue. Uh, in 2005, I graduated from Texas A&M University with a computer science degree. Whoop, come on now. Where are my Aggies at? Do we have any Longhorns in the room? Oh my, Jesus loves you anyway. Well, in 2005, I graduated from Texas A&M University with a computer science degree. There was a focus on artificial intelligence, but in 2000, I took a focus on artificial intelligence um, in my degree. But in 2005, it is nothing like what it is today in 2023. Back in 2005, we were we were creating prototypes of what AI potentially could do. Um, and it was some really bizarre out there things. And I remember thinking, this will never happen. This stuff will never happen. And it has happened. The things we did in 2005 has already happened. We far surpassed it. Uh, AI is on the rise. I was at the bookstore looking for a book this week, and I came across a book that said, Your Wit is My Command. Building Artificial Intelligence with a Sense of Humor. And I took a picture of that book and I sent it to Pedro. And I said, Pedro, we have nothing left to offer this world. If AI takes over a sense of humor, we're done. Like, we are done. So I, I don't use ChatGPT. Oh, well, ChatGPT is this program. And you can go in and ask it a question. And it uses artificial intelligence to scan the web, pull all the best resources, the information, and give you a coherent answer. Um, it's actually kind of helpful for some things. For example, I will take my sermon, highlight all of my sermon, throw it in GPT, and say, what is the main idea of this sermon? And if it spits back the right main idea, that tells me that I've communicated appropriately. And if AI can figure out the main idea, then the people on Sunday can figure out the main idea. So it's, it's helpful. You can see how it might be helpful. Well, this week I was playing around with it because um, I needed some stories. I needed some jokes for today. So I typed this into chat GPT. I said, what is a joke about a detective? I wanted to talk about a detective in today's sermon. I was looking for a joke. What is a joke about a detective? And chat GPT replied, here's a detective joke for you. Why did the detective break up with his girlfriend? Because she kept asking him, what do you mean, all the time. I didn't either, so I asked another question. I asked chat GPT, what is an anecdote about being slow to speak and quick to listen? And Chat came back with, There was a wise old owl who lived in a forest. One day, a young rabbit came to him seeking advice. The rabbit was worried about many things and spoke very quickly. The owl listened patiently without interrupting. When the rabbit had finished speaking, the owl simply said, Who? Who? The rabbit was confused and asked the owl what he meant. And the owl replied, You talk too much. You need to listen more. So then I asked ChatGPT, what's a funny joke about, I figured the anecdote isn't working. What's a funny joke about being slow to speak and quick to listen? And it kicked back this. Why did the talking, no, why did the man decide to become a mime? He wanted to practice being slow to speak and quick to listen. So I kept trying. I kept trying. What's a funny joke about a person who talks too much? And it came back with, why did the talking clock get a job? Because it had 60 seconds of conversation. So you're feeling my frustration. I... 
I typed back to ChatGPT. By this point, I'm kind of upset, and I said, you aren't very smart, and I hit enter. <laughs> and ChatGPT says, as an AI language model, I don't have the capacity to feel emotions, including hurt or insult. My purpose to assist and provide helpful responses to the best of my ability based on the information you provided to me. If there's anything specific you'd like to ask or discuss, feel free to let me know. I was in an argument with a computer system. I, it really, I had to check myself. And then I thought, you know, all of it tried, it tried really hard. It went and it gathered all the, the, the wonderful knowledge that the web has to offer, but it didn't have the capacity for wisdom. To apply the knowledge in the context that I needed, the knowledge applied. And as it is with building healthy families, you can have all the knowledge in the world accessible by chat GPT. How to get the kids to sleep, how to get them to stop swearing, how to get them to do the dishes, how to get them to put away the dishes after the dishes are done. You can type all of that in and the knowledge is great, but if we don't have the wisdom to deploy the knowledge, our families are going to be the same after we have the knowledge. So being famous at home is not just about you coming here today and getting more knowledge than you know what to do with. It is about encountering a risen God who is giving you the grace to be the parent, you the grace to be the child, you the grace to be the husband, the wife, the, the person living right now in singleness. Like We trust that with the knowledge we're gathering, the Spirit of God, the anointing of God is coming on the knowledge, writing on the knowledge so that we can use it with wisdom. So there are two rules that I talked about last two weeks ago. And those two rules still apply today. The first is your spouse, your child, your parent, anyone in your home, anyone you consider family, they are not your opponent. We agreed to that two weeks ago. I'm not going to describe that again, but can, we just, can you just trust me? They're not your opponent. Yeah? The second rule is this message is not for someone that you know. This message is for you. Too often when we listen to relationship stuff, we're always applying it to everyone else around us and how they interact with us and how they treat us and what they say and what they do. The word of God is not about you listening so you can remind someone else to be better. The word of God is available to us so that you can be washed in the word yourself. Some of, us, some of us stink to high heaven because we're so busy giving everybody else a bath. This message is not for anyone else but me. Look at your neighbor and say, this is just about me today. All right, let's get to our points, our four points and I want to go ahead and give you a heads up that at the end of my sermon, I'm going to power through these points as quickly as I reasonably can. And at the end of this sermon, we're going to invite the worship team up to sing. And we're going to invite our prayer team up. And we're going to agree with you for your family, for your parenting, for your relationships, for whatever it is that you have. So as I'm preaching, I want you to think this message is for me. God is wanting to stir something in me. How can I partner with it and go up to the front for prayer after service? All right? So be watching for it. Holy Spirit's going to talk to you. Point number four. We did the first three two weeks ago. Decision four to put your family center stage is listen to your spouse's heart. Listen to your spouse's heart. That's if you have a spouse. If you don't have a spouse, listen to the hearts of the people in the home. If there's no one else in the home, listen to your own heart. There are, there are too many people, Christians, believers, who have, who have the anointing of God on their life to see beyond the visible, and they're completely not self-aware. 
Christians should be the most self-aware creatures on planet Earth. We should be... We should be able to be alone, sit alone in a home and not constantly feel like we have to reach out to someone else because we can't sit with what's going on in our own world, in our inner world, in our heart, in our mind, in our emotions, and in our will. Listen to the hearts of the people in your home. The last decision, decision three, we talked about, talk about your emotions. In some families, in some homes, emotions are off limits. It's all about the tasks, the schedule, the accomplishments, just checking off the to-do list. But if you want a healthy home, if you want to be famous at home, you have to be willing to talk about emotions. That was decision three. But in decision four, there's no sense in talking about emotions if no one's listening. There has to be a listening ear in a home for the emotions to land on. Be a listener. Be a listener. Study the hearts in your home. Learn the right questions to ask people. I've provided a few for you. A simple question is, what's on your heart today? What's on your, how are you feeling today? What was the highlight of your day? How did you feel about that? How did this person, project, or meeting make you feel? Think of the feeling words. When you're trying to listen to other people, ask them feeling questions. It's much easier to ask, hey, how did the meeting go? Because then we just want a quick wrap-up on how it went. Was it successful? But forget how it went. Ask, how did it make you feel? When we ask the right questions of our spouse, of our kids, of our dogs, we get the opportunity to listen to the hearts of the people that are speaking. Listen to the hearts. But when you're listening to the hearts, don't listen so that you can provide judgment. Don't listen just so that you can modify their behavior. Don't listen just so that you can give solutions. Listen to the hearts. I love James chapter 1, 19 through 20. It says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I have a joke about being slow to speak and quick to listen. Why did the man decide to become a mime? He wanted to practice being slow to speak and quick to listen. Thank you, chat GPT. Quick to listen. This has a family application but I don't want to take you to the family application until we first visit the deeper root, which is a spiritual application. Let's get the spiritual application of this verse correct and then apply it to our families. The spiritual application of swift to hear, slow to speak. Swift to hear, swift to hear the voice of God. Quick to hear what God is saying through his word. You and I have to be careful in our day-to-day life not to weigh in on matters based on our logic and our opinion more than based on the word of God. Let me say that again. Being quick to listen, swift to hear, means that you and I don't weigh in on opinions based on our own belief system, not based on our own framework, not based on our own logic, not based on our own opinion. We weigh in on every issue of life, not based on us, but based on the word of God. We are quick to listen to his word and slow to speak our own opinions. I'm quick to hear the word of God on a matter and slow to weigh in my thoughts on the matter. At the end of the day, my thoughts don't matter. I'm not trying to minimize your voice. I'm not trying to make you feel insignificant. But the moment we realize that this eternal word of God is the thing that really matters in every situation, we're going to be quick to speak our opinion and slow to get godly counsel. This is the spiritual issue at work. And when we get this right in our life, it will impact our families.
The family application comes after we get the spiritual application. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what do you need to please God, church? Faith. Do you need a good job to please God? Do you need to pay 12% tithe to please God? Do you need to volunteer at the church to please God? Yes, eat kids every Sunday. Do you need to attend church every Sunday to please God? Do you need to pray every day to please God? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we know from Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that tells me as a believer, the spiritual principle of quick to listen, slow to speak, that faith pleases God, Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So my number one priority as a believer should be getting in the word of God every single day. That is what pleases God. I I don't mean that to sound judgmental. I had someone once say I was preaching on the word of God and saying how important it was to read the word of God. And he caught me after service and he said, Pastor, I feel like you're making it legalistic. Reading God's word shouldn't be legalistic. It shouldn't be a duty. It should be something I want to do. And when I want to do it, I do. I didn't say this then. And I probably wouldn't if you asked me the question again today. But I wanted to go back in time and say, is that how you treat your spouse? Do you sleep in your marriage bed only when you feel like it? Do you show up for dinner when you want to because you don't want to make family time legalistic? Do you you get your spouse a birthday gift only if you you just really want to because, you know, come on, we don't want to get into a routine and a rut. Why is it that we treat God with so much liberality, yet we act like any kind of consistent behavior in the gospel is legalism When the truth is, you were set free to be able to engage with the creator of the universe every single day. It's not legalistic to read God's word. And I I get some of it's really hard to understand. If you're depressed, I wouldn't recommend Lamentations. If you're just getting your feet wet in the Bible, I wouldn't recommend Leviticus. Like, there are areas to jump in at the pool. You know what I mean? There's a shallow end of the pool. If, if you're new to reading the Word of God, I recommend the book of John. It's the life of Jesus. In a very, it shows him as the Son of God, but also in his humanity. It's got all the good stories in there about Jesus. And I recommend the book of John. Then I recommend all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. After that, I would recommend Philippians in the New Testament. Some of Paul's letters are really, really good and just filled with grace. I also recommend Genesis, the history of the universe in one book. And Exodus is brilliant history. We have to fall in love with the word again. Our families will never reach their capacity if our Bibles are never opened. So all these steps and all of these decisions that I'm giving us, it's, it's good information. It's good knowledge to pull from the interwebs. You know what I mean? But the wisdom comes when you actually open the word of God and we are quick to hear what God is saying. We are searching God's heart on a matter and we're slow to speak our own opinions. Listen to the hearts of the people in your home. Decision five. You want to be famous at home, enter your child's world. Enter your child's world. Child development researcher Stanley Greenspan writes this. Bright, emotionally healthy, and moral children don't just happen. All the wonderful things you wish for your child do not have to be left to chance, intuition, or genetic endowment. Nor do they require hours of flashcards, educational TV, or special computer-based learning exercises. What it does require is for you, the parent, to be face-to-face with your children, entering their worlds with no distraction. Our children don't need more programs. They need more presence. Enter your child's 
world. Now, for those of us in the room that don't have kids, or maybe your kids are grown up and they're out of the house and this doesn't apply, there is almost no parenting advice that you cannot apply to interpersonal relationships. All of these these points today, these four points on four ways to enter your child's world, will work in the workplace too. It'll help you build friends, influence people. It will help you with your cousins and your aunts and your uncles and your parents. So I'm going to give you four quick ways to enter your child's world. But if you don't have a child today, apply this to the other adults and other people in your world. Point number one, the first way to enter your child's world is champion their interest and their strengths. Some of us get so stuck on our own story that we, we squash the story of our children. We don't even get involved in their world and their interests and their strengths because we're too focused on mourning who they're not rather than celebrating who they are. So champion their hearts and their strengths. Number two, one of my favorites, and I use this, I try to use this with my kids. I use this with adults for sure all the time. Number two is calm their brain. Calm their brain. When kids, when anyone, feels emotionally secure, they then feel safe to explore the world again. And when we get stressed out, when we get overwhelmed, we get dysregulated, our brain switches into the fight, flight, or freeze mode. And we need someone to come alongside us just to help calm our brain, to remind us that it's all going to be okay. The goal is always winning the hearts of our children not behavior modification, not getting on to them for how they're behaving. When their hearts, then the behavior changes. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Say your, your son or your daughter comes in and they say, I want to go to the game on Friday. And you say, no, you're not going to the game on Friday. And they say, I hate you. And they storm away. First of all, my kids better never where they are. No. They, they, they blow up. They say something ridiculous and they storm away. There are a few ways as a parent we can engage with that. Uh, we can ignore it. Sometimes, you know, it's just easier to ignore the issue, pretend it's not there, pretend you didn't hear it. You know, like keep, just keep cooking. You can ignore it. You can dismiss it and say, oh, don't be mad. Don't be mad. And just go on about your day. You can minimize it. Minimize their frustration by saying, it's just a football game. Who cares? Or you can punish them. That's always an easy solution. You know, punish, like, what did you say? I've done this a few times. Not proud moments. Get back here. Say it to, say it to my face. Say it again. You better, here's my classic. You better not say that in this home. We don't talk like that in this home. Do you understand me? So you can punish the child by their behavior. Just beat it out of them. Not literally Wow, poor choice of words. But you know what I mean. Like, just make them feel awful. They, they feel awful, make them feel awfuler by punishing them. But the goal, remember, is to win their hearts. So maybe you could just lead with grace in that moment when you're trying to calm their brain. Call them over and say, hey, what is it about the game that matters so much to you? I understand what's driving that behavior in them. But that doesn't mean, when I talk about leading with grace, that doesn't mean that we don't provide discipline and boundaries in the home. That leads me to number three. Coach their challenges. If you want to lean into your kid's world, coach their challenges. I love this definition of discipline. I, I never really thought of it this way, but it makes so much sense. Discipline is the continual everyday process of helping a child learn self-discipline. Isn't that beautiful? Discipline is, is me pouring into the child so that one day I can pass the baton of discipline and then they can self-manage and self-disciple themselves. I get that that's redundant. But that's the goal. The goal of discipline isn't just to make you do what I want while you're in my home. It's so that when you're out of my home, you can do what the will of the Father is. 
My discipline should lead my child into a discovery of self-discipline. Coach their challenges. Coach their challenges. And then number four, leaning into your child's world is right your wrongs. Learn to apologize. Learn to say you're sorry. We went through a season as a society for many generations where if you're an adult, you're right. If you're a kid, you're automatically wrong. And that's just not reality. I did teach my kids that if an adult tells you to do something at school, on the, on the basketball court, even if you don't like what they're saying, even if they treat you wrong, you're to honor them because God will honor you for honoring the people in positions of authority in your life. I taught my kids that all the time, but that doesn't mean that adults are always right. And you're going to be wrong sometime in leading your kids. You're going to be wrong sometimes as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother. We have to learn to apologize and saying I'm sorry without explaining. Did you know if you have to explain why you did what you did, it's not an apology. It's a justification. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I yelled at you, Jordan. I'm just making this up. But your curfew was at 1130 and you got home at 1 a.m. And I was, I was really scared. I, I flew off the handle. I'm really sorry I yelled at you. But you did this to earn. So if I have to explain my apology, it's not an apology. A real apology says, hey, I'm sorry that I said that and did that. How can I make it right? This is going to be the golden nugget for many of us today, just learning how to apologize, learning how to own what we've done wrong. I'm not perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. And this is how we handle things when we mess up. These are the lessons that we teach our kids when we learn how to apologize. We teach them three fundamental truths. I'm not perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. And this is how you make things right when there's a disparity between what you expect and how I respond. Decision six. I need to finish this up. I'm behind schedule. Decision six. Establish your family rhythms. By the way, this, this two-part series sermon is based off of a book uh, that I would highly recommend to you. Famous at home. Uh, Greg, do you remember the author? I, it's totally just slipped my mind. Is it Chip? Famous at home. It's a great book, especially if you're new at parenting or you have young kids. I highly recommend this book. Um, oh yes, Josh, and he, he has a wife. They actually attend Michaela's church in Nashville. They're a great couple. Um, but I do recommend the book. I, I just need to get through these last two points, though. Decision six is probably one of my the funnest points, and that is establish family rhythms. If you want to be famous at home, you have to establish family rhythms. Moments matter. Rhythms matter. The ebb and flow of family life matters. There are seasons where, as a family, we're super busy where we just kind of miss each other and we don't connect and we have to be more intentional with connecting. And then there are, there are seasons where there's not a lot of obligation externally and we just get to hang out and watch Netflix and make popcorn and just do family things. But we understand that rhythms matter. We have to be intentional with setting rhythms. Now, where does the origin of rhythms come from? In Genesis, God created and established rhythms. Genesis 1.5 says... God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. When creating day and night, God created light, order, out of darkness, chaos. I find it fascinating that Genesis 1-5 says, there was evening, and then day, morning, and that was the first day. This is why Jewish observance of the Sabbath and various other holidays, they don't begin at sunrise, they begin at sunset, right? 
So a new day, if we were observing the Hebrew way, the old Bible way, a new day would begin tonight at about sunset time, which would be 7 o'clock, 6.30, 8 o'clock. I don't know what sunset is right now. But when the sun goes down, the new day begins. That's kind of cool. I know it sounds a little confusing. Like we're used to just running, running, running throughout the day and then crashing at night and then watching TV and having a meal. But what if we did a, a mind shift, shifted our mindset, and we started to look at our day as beginning in the evenings? I mean, consider for a moment how your life might just change if you consider the new day starting when the sun goes down. How would your life change if your day started in the evening rather than in the morning? Imagine it starting at sunset with the most remarkable meal of the day and the family and friends at the table. The sun has gone down. The candles are lit. The LED light bulbs are on. And you're having a great meal together. And after the nourishing dinner with those you love, we go to bed for an eight-hour sleep. And then as you wake up, you finish your day at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m., stepping out of the home, into the world, onto your stage that God is sending you to, to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. And you finish your day by 6 p.m. It sounds lovely, right? Because God created the day so that you could live from rest, not live for it. You see, our day begins with rest. Our rhythm should begin with acknowledging that we need rest in our life. Our families need rest. Our marriages need rest. Our parenting needs rest. And once we establish cycles and rhythms of rest and Sabbath, then we get to step out onto the stage. We get to live from a place of being rested rather than running the race, hoping we finally get rest at the end of the day. Decision seven. If you want to be famous at home, set values. Set values. Intentionally get with the members of your home. If you're single, this is even easier because you don't have to argue with anyone about any value system that exists under the roof. It's just you. So there's no reason to not have a value system. I remember when our kids were young, Micah and Michaela in College Station, we had five core values as a family. And there's been one value, and they shift over time. Your values change over time. It can be something different based on the season of life that you're in. But there's one core value that we have always held as a family, no matter what season has come and go. And, and that value is growth. We even have a saying, it's become a motto in our home, do it afraid. You're scared to do something, do it afraid. If you're on Carrie's team, you know that you should not say you're scared to pray. She will make you pray. And she'll smile and say, do it afraid. Right? Because that is a motto of our home, because we value growth. The Rose family values growth. Right, Jordan? We say yes to every opportunity that comes our way. If it's within our capacity, if we see a need, and it's within our capacity to meet the need, the answer is always yes. The answer is not, I'll pray about it. When you see a need in eKids, and it's within my capacity to meet the need, I don't need to pray about it. The answer is always yes. If there is a need that I see, and God has given me the resource to meet the need, the answer is always yes. Are you catching this? The answer is always yes. If you see a need, there's a reason God's put it before your face, before your eyes. He's positioned you in this moment to meet the need. The answer is always yes. And it was that motto and that decision that got us three additional kids in our home. We were driving in the car. Carrie's mom had Jordan, Addison, and Tristan in foster care. We knew that they had just come up for adoption. We actually didn't know them very well. Um, he turned out, they turned out okay. They are awesome. They really are awesome. Amazing kids. Carrie is the one always bringing home stray animals, cats, 
dogs, baby squirrels, bats. She will, if there's anything that needs attention, she she will bring it home. That's just her. That's not me. I want to be the gatekeeper. I want to guard my home. I'm cautious who comes in there, what we bring in, what I have to support, and what I'm responsible for. And we're driving home, talking about these kids, and Carrie said, well, we should pray about it. And the week before, I had just given my team at church a lecture. I sent out a very nice, courteous, but curt email. And I was letting my children's ministry team know because I was getting really tired of this, it's not my job mentality. And so I sent out an email and I said, I thought it was brilliant. If you see a need and it's within your capacity to meet the need, the answer is always yes. And I'm teaching them, my team that. And as we're driving home from Austin and I hear that these kids need adoption and my wife says, we need to pray about it. I sit there and I think, God, what is happening right now? And I look over at my wife and I say, we don't need to pray about it. If we see a need and it's within our capacity to meet the need, the answer is always yes. And a month later, these kids were in our home on Christmas Day of 2009. Six months later, they were fully adopted. For the next two years, I cried and wondered, why did I say the answer is yes? And I don't always encourage people to adopt three at once. But for me in that time, there was just this moment that God stepped into. I saw a need. It was within my capacity to meet it, and I knew that the answer was yes. It all began with a value system built on growth. Values will transform your family. Will you stand with me? I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I hope that as I've been speaking, you remember the fact that building your family is not on you. Psalm 127.1 reminds us that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, labor in vain. I'm giving you an opportunity this morning to partner with what God wants to do in your leadership, in your home. I believe in the impossible. I believe that no matter where your marriage is, your parenting, your your kids, even those of us who have kids out of state, out of the country, around the world, When we agree together in prayer, God can release angels on their behalf. So we're going to ask our prayer team to come forward.